Okay, Abraxa. Need a breath mint. Okay, here we go. Um, so I grew up, I have a younger sister. Okay, she's three years younger than me. And uh, at times I think I could literally be called cruel uh, the way I treat her sometimes, right? And then I think there's other times that she could be called cruel because she came into the world, right? You know, and took over your being the only child, you know, stuff like that. Um, but sometimes we have that thing, like, with your parents of, you know, you know parents, you know, full well, you have a favorite, right? And you know who the one is. For my parents, it's me. Um, so, but you have that, you, you know, I hope you don't, but some, some people do. But you have that kind of like, well, who does mom like better? Who does dad like better, right? And so, like, today what we want to do is I want to I start this uh, called the serve by bringing us to a passage of scripture in Luke, Luke 22. And if you want to, you can follow along, but if you want to just listen, you can listen too. Um, but there's this point of the story of Jesus' life where everything's about to change, right? And it says that everything began to change, and so they went and they had this Passover meal together, right? And if you remember the story, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, go to this place, tell them that we're going to have a meal here and they'll be okay with it, you know? And then you'll be, like, surprised that they are, and then we'll go in and we'll have our meal. And, and so, as we look through the Gospels, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all constructed in a way to tell about the life of Jesus, okay? And so, each of them have a different account. Each of them are kind of bent a little bit different to a different group of people. But what's interesting about the book of John is John was one that was one of the last books written that, are in, that is in our current Bible, Okay? And it's written well into John's later years, okay? John was, as he called himself, without saying the favored one, he was the disciple whom Jesus loved, okay? Have you ever read that? And be like, okay, he's a little arrogant, right? But he was the one that, you know, he called himself the one who Jesus loved. And so he wrote this um, book of John, as we know it, and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And, and he, he wrote these these two things, and like I said, later on in his life, and I think a lot of it was just to kind of bring some clarity to some different things, and to bring his different experience to the stories that we read throughout the Bible. Now Luke, what's interesting about Luke is Luke was a guy who wrote the book of Luke, and he both, uh, wrote the book of Acts, okay? But he was not one of the disciples. He was just a, a bystander, and so he he got all his information, okay? He was a good investigator, okay? He got all his information from different people. And, and sometimes you read some of the things, especially in the book of Acts, you're like, how did he know that? Well, maybe he consulted with Peter, or he consulted with Paul, or with Barnabas, or some of those other people to get kind of the information he needed. But in the book of Luke, he takes and he writes about the account of Jesus, okay? And so he writes about the Passover, and he writes it in a way that's different than the book of John, and John kind of supplements some of the, the material that kind of is not there, or some of the details that are missing, okay? A lot of people will tell you that throughout the Gospels, you can put together this larger chunk of this, uh, this time by just looking at different Gospels and putting together the order of it and what happened as they're sitting at this Passover meal, and as, as you've read, if you've read the scriptures, what you see is there was a lot that happened in that time. It was kind of Jesus' final speech. It was his final time with his, his followers. And he's saying, hey, here we go. Okay, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to do. And what's interesting is, as the Bible talks about in the book of Luke, it says that they, um, they get to this place uh, where they're going to have this Passover meal. And, and it says at that point, Jesus already knows that Jesus, uh, Judas is going to betray him. He's already put it into motion. 
And then they get into this place, and all of a sudden, this argument breaks out, kind of like in a backseat on a vacation, right? Of who do you think's Jesus' favorite, right? And so the disciples start to argue, right? And they start to try to position themselves and say, oh, I'm going to be the one sitting next to Jesus, right? And he, Jesus understands what they're saying. He understands what they're thinking, and he begins to challenge them, right? And he begins to tell them this little story about who's greater and who's least, and and he's saying, in my kingdom, the greater one is the who? The least. And so he tells this story, and he has this group of people that are sitting at this Passover meal, wondering who's going to be Jesus' favorite, wondering who's going to be next to him in his kingdom, wondering who's going to be the, the main guy, right? And so that kind of puts us into this place where there's something missing after this story in the book of And I think shortly after this story is another story where Jesus goes, and he doesn't just talk about it, but he begins to tell this story, but he also begins to illustrate it. And we know this story as the foot washing, right? Where Jesus bends down and washes the disciples' feet. But I don't know if you've ever really taken the time, and you've ever taken the time and read through the different accounts of the Passover and tried to kind of put things together and put them into some order. But I think this, this story fits really well after these disciples who are arguing about who's greater and who's, who's less, right? And so it tells us, the story goes on in, in John chapter 13 to tell us that they were gathered in this place. And when they entered into this place, they came in and they sat down and there was nobody there to wash their feet. Now when in that time, it was custom, okay, that whenever you entered somebody's house, that someone would have something there or somebody there to wash your feet because you had just come from a long journey, okay? And they didn't have the nice covered shoes and, you know, keep your feet clean things. They had, you know, dirty feet. And they had dirty feet because they were walking around in dirt with sandals, right? And so it says that they entered into this house and they all began to recline around this table, okay? Now, some of you would love to eat this way, but they say that the way they reclined was not to pull up a bunch of chairs and sit around a high-top table like we do. But they would find this area and the tables would be shorter and they would literally recline. Like they would lay down, they would kind of sit like this, right? And they would begin to eat. But they said before they began to eat, Jesus did something that completely shocked the room. And what did he begin to do? It said that he went over and he grabbed the wash bin, right? And he took it and he took off his outer garment and he began to kneel down and he took a towel and wrapped it around his waist and he began to wash the, def- the feet of his disciples. Now, if you could just be a fly on the wall for a moment in that room. There would probably have been a collective like, <gasps> right? Because he's, he's the greatest, right? In that room, he, he's probably, no, he is the Messiah. We've already went through that. Jesus has already asked, who do you say I am? Like, we know who he is. And Jesus takes the job of a slave, picks up this basin, begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now here's the interesting thing about this. Culturally, even Jewish slaves weren't required to do this job. This was a job left for the Gentiles, as they called it. And so when they entered that house, no one took time to wash any of their feet. Jesus thought, hey, Perfect teaching moment, right? 
He's like, I created your feet. I know how smelly they are. I know how gross they are. But hey, let me, let me wash them. So the creator who created everything stoops down really low and begins to wash disciples' feet. So he pulls out a basin, okay? He pulls out some cloths, wraps around his waist, and he begins, the Bible says, to pour and wash the disciples' feet. And then he gets to probably our favorite character in the Bible for most of us. He gets to Peter, right? And Peter's like, whoa, 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 right? I've been through this before. Who do you say I am, right? You're not going to do this to me. Like, let me wash your feet. And what does Jesus say? Nope. He says, nope. He says, I have to wash your feet, otherwise you can't be a part of this. And probably after much protest, because what, what we see from Peter is Peter never, he's kind of like my kids, never takes no for an answer and then kind of argues for a while. Okay, anybody else in that same boat? Some of you are like that, right? God tells you to do something and you're like, well, uh, uh, what do you think about this? What about this way? Well, what if I did this? You know, and we kind of just go around in circles. And I think Peter kind of probably did that for a little bit. He probably took some time and was trying to convince Jesus that, no, maybe he had a foot fungus. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't want Jesus to get his foot fungus. I don't know. But he just said, no, I don't want you to do that. He just said, I have to. Because otherwise, you can't have what's coming to you. I had a question this week as I was reading this story. Who was in the room? We know from the Bible it says that Jesus and his disciples, right? So there's, there's at least 13 people, right? But the question's not one so much of numbers as much as it is, is who's in the room? Like who walked into the room that day? What was in their hearts that day? We know from many of the stories that we definitely had people that were arguing and they were all about their status, right? They were all about their position. And so you have a couple of them sitting around the table. We know from later accounts that we have a doubter, right? And his name was Thomas, right? And we, we have another one named John who considered himself the loved one, right? Like Jesus loved him more than anybody else, right? So a little bit, I don't know. And we have Peter, right? Peter, hmm. Peter was a guy who was just about to get told by Jesus that he would deny him. After being called the rock, after being called the man, whatever you want to call it, after having all these great things happen, now Jesus is going to look at Peter and go, you're going to deny me. And Jesus knows that with every pour of this water over the feet as he's washing these people, He's washing the feet of people who have heart issues. And then the worst of them all, right, is he probably gets to Judas. The Bible tells us that he already knew what was in the heart of Judas. He already knew that he had betrayed him, right? So you've got a doubter. You've got someone that's about to deny you three times. You've got somebody who's about to betray you or has betrayed you. You have people wondering about their status with you. You have another person that, man, they, they know exactly how, where they fit with you, right? You have all these 
different people with different hearts, with different expectations, with different places around the table, but they're literally going, he's washing my feet. The God of the universe, the God who in the beginning of the book of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? In the beginning, he created it all. He was there. He knew each and every one of them before they were born. He knew how they were going to be knit together. He knew their personalities, knew everything about them. And yet this God who is on high, right, comes down low. That's the story of the gospel. That Jesus would come in the form of man. He would give up his place in heaven and come down to be one of us. To experience what we experience. To feel what we feel. And then he would die a death on a cross. But he wouldn't stay there. He'd rise again three days later. And everything would change. It brings a whole new light to Psalms 113. Write that down. Read Psalms 113. Where God, who's high above, where his glory is over the earth, comes down to humble little you and me, and he lifts us up. He lifts us, as the Bible says, he lifts us up from the ashes, or the original Greek word is the crap pile. He lifts us up from it. He lifts us up from all the junk. One translation says a dung pile. So you can interpret however you want. The Bible is real, okay? It says he lifts us up from these miry places. And so Jesus stoops down and he begins to take the water and he begins to wash the feet. And he finally breaks through to Peter. And Peter goes, okay, so then if you're going to wash, then go ahead, top to bottom, I'm ready. Jesus is like, awkward. But he's like, no. If you've already bathed, then the only thing that needs to be washed is your feet. And so he begins to wash their feet. So who's around the table? Someone who's going to deny Jesus. Someone who's going to betray him. People who have problems with where they rank as one of his disciples. And a doubter. I mean, you, you name it, there's, there's different people around the table. And they're watching a God who knows all those things, kneels down, humbles himself, puts puts himself in a place of a slave, and begins to wash their feet. Why'd he do it? Why'd he do it? Turn with me to John chapter 13. And go to um, verse 12. It says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because it's true. And since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I've done for who? For you. Why did he do it? He did it to set an example for you and I. 
He did it to show you and I that no matter what place or wherever we find ourselves, our place is always to be the lowest. Our place is always to be one where we're serving. Our place is always to be a place of humility. He modeled it throughout his life. We see Jesus modeling this idea of, of, uh, or this mandate for a humble service. He's saying, because you have everything, because you have everything you need, you can be secure enough to bend down. And how do we know that? Because it says, right at the beginning of it, it says, because of his relationship or because he knows who he is and because he knows he is God and that God is his father, he can do this. That's the same thing for you and I. You're saying, well, he was Jesus. No, but Jesus came so that you and I could have that same relationship. If you read throughout the Gospels, it says that Jesus is inviting you and I to have that same intimate, close relationship with God where it becomes so evident in our lives that we're completely content with wherever he puts us and we're completely content with whatever job he asks us to do. What if he asks you to bend down and begin to wash the feet of some middle schoolers? That would be a huge task, Right? Middle schoolers aren't known for the most rosy smelling feet, right? I have some in my home, right? But what if he asked you to do that? You're saying, he's going to actually ask me to wash people's feet? No, but the fact of the matter is, is this. If, you, if he asks you to do it, then do it. What I'm saying is, what does it look like when he asks us to get to a place where we're literally able to serve and serve because we've been given so much? And serve because we want to serve. You see, there's something about being called to serve that changes everything. Because when you're called to do something, it takes on a whole different meaning. When you're just volunteering to volunteer to do something, at any time you can cut bait and go and be okay with it. But when you feel called to something, you can't help but to humble yourself pick up the basin, and begin to wash feet. I think the biggest reason why, what scripture tells us, the reason why he did what he did is in the first part. If you go back to John chapter 13 and we go to the very beginning. Jesus said he knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his father. And here's what it says. Now he showed the disciples the full extent of his love. The full extent of his love. Pretty crazy when you think about all the things that Jesus has done and all the things that he has done for his disciples. But then he stoops down and he begins to wash their feet. I can't imagine being someone sitting in that room that day knowing that that job is not reserved for the creator of the universe and that job is not reserved for somebody who is probably the greatest in this room. But Jesus set the example for every leader to come. And he set the example for every follower that would follow. And he said, you want to be one that's about my kingdom? Then if you're about my kingdom, then you stoop down and you're the first to serve. And why do we do it? 1 John 4.10 says we do it because he first loved us. 
Galatians, Paul says we do it because of the gift, because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Jesus is saying there's no greater picture of my love than to stoop down and begin to serve somebody that doesn't deserve it. Think about it for a minute. Did Peter deserve it? No. Peter's about to deny him. And oh, by the way, he was about to deny him to a little girl. And Judas, he was about to deny Jesus for some change. Now, change is pretty hefty in his pocket, but for some change. And Thomas, Thomas's doubting was really like, okay, we'll see if this is real. And then when he finally experiences Jesus after the resurrection, Thomas is completely changed. You see, Jesus has called us to care, and he's called us to give, and he's called us to make disciples. And as we make disciples, he calls us to teach them how to serve. And one of the things that he teaches us to teach him is to stoop down and begin to do whatever needs to be done. Because Jesus said it very clearly. He said, those who are faithful with a little will be given what? Much. But the goal shouldn't be the much. The goal should be the serving. The goal should be to do what Jesus did for you and I. Stooping down to the lowest point to begin to wash the, the feet of whoever may need to be. So let me ask you this. This act of washing the feet is one of great humility and one of great love. It got me thinking this week. What, are the, what or who are the feet that God has been asking you to wash? And sometimes that might mean you stepping away from a higher role into a lower role so that you can do what God's asked you to do. It might be, you know, a season that your kids are in. Maybe you've got all these great ambitions, but maybe God's asking you to kind of step back and just love them and serve them. I didn't say spoil them, right? I said serve them. Maybe you have a a loved one or a friend that has a really bad illness. And God's saying, will you spend a little time with them? And you spending a little time with them means that maybe you can't work those extra 10 hours a week. Maybe it's going to cost you a little bit. Because those extra 10 hours a week are a little bit of overtime. But he's asking you to stoop down and he's asking you to begin to serve one another. We make this very clear. This isn't stoop down so people can run over you. Even though that may happen. But what they're going to see is they're going to see your consistentness. They're going to see your consistency. Sorry. They're going to see your consistent love for them. They're going to see your consistent servant heart. The Bible tells us very clear. When people begin to see that, they begin to taste and see that God is good. And they taste and see it because they see it in you and in me. See, he's called us to serve. But he's called us to serve from a place not here, but here. And for some of us, man, it really hits on our pride. Because why would I do that? 
Well, the thing I know about life and about leadership is some of the greatest leaders are some of the greatest servers. They're not afraid to roll up their sleeves and they're not afraid to go clean toilets. They're not afraid on a cleaning day to be the one working the hardest. They're not afraid to be who they're supposed to be. Why? Because that's what God's called them to do. God's called them to serve. Not from here, but from here. So today, the very, I don't know, hits at your pride message. Well, for some of us, maybe it's really convicting. Because we've been looking at trying to get to the top. And we've been doing all these things and we can't get there. And Jesus is saying, well, maybe you need to go to the bottom to get to the top. He's saying, but the top's not the goal. So today, where are you at? What places have God, what places have God has God put you in? And even though it might be incredibly hard to do, he's asking you to stoop down and begin to wash people's feet. And we're doing it because that's what he did. And we're doing it because that, if that's what Jesus said, he showed his, the full extent of his love, then maybe that would show the full extent of our love towards somebody. But this whole series is based off that passage in, in 1 Peter where it says, now that Jesus has done these things, let us follow in his footsteps. So if this is what Jesus did, then why aren't we doing it? For some of us, next week we're going to, I'm going to kind of tie all this together by what it means to be the church. Because the kaleo, the word kaleo, has many different meanings when you take it and you put it together with other words in a compound word. The one of the most beautiful words is one that make up the word for church. Next week we're going to talk about that. But this week we have to ask ourselves a question. The first week we talked about called to care. And we said we care because God thinks about each of us with so many, so many thoughts. And that's where I said the jar of sand. I don't know where it went to. But that was a reminder to me that God thinks that much about me. So if he thinks that much about me, how much more does he think about each and every one of us? So if he thinks that much about me, then I need to be thinking about other people. And I need to be thinking about ways I can serve other people. And we looked at giving. We said giving takes on a whole different picture when we begin to understand how God, what God's thoughts are about other people. Giving takes a whole different shape because of caring. And then last week, we talked about making disciples. It is the way that the church moves forward. It is the way that the gospel continues to move. Is by you and I bringing someone alongside of us, serving them, loving them, investing in them, and watching them begin to flourish in who it is that God's created them to be. And then watching them do that same thing with somebody else. You see, church growth is really easy. You know how it's really easy? Because if each and every one of us were doing that with one person, everything doubles. And if those people are doing that, it doubles yet again. 
And sooner or later, it's not addition by, or it's not growth by addition, it's growth by, growth by multiplication because each and every person are doing the part. Who do you have near you? Who do you have around you? Who is it that God's called you to serve? That's a bigger question. Because the biggest thing at the end of this section of scripture, he says, was since you've seen me do this, now go and do the same. Okay? There's another word in there. Go, right? Go and do it. Doesn't happen right here, it says go and do it. It may happen in here, but he's saying it happens every day, every minute of our life. Go and do it. And why? Because I did it first. You see, no matter what we've done, no matter where we're at, God always trumps us because he said, I first loved you. I loved you before you even stepped foot on this earth, before you even committed your first sin, I loved you. Before you even messed up all these things I told you to do, I still love you. He first loved us. So now we get to go and do that for other people. Let's pray. Father, today, today, God, we... um, I think we're sitting in this place just kind of not sure but sure of what we need to do. Not sure of what people might think but sure of what the outcome would be if we did do that. God, I just think today what would our marriages look like if Each one of us were called to serve. If each one of us picked up the basin and picked up the water and began to wash each other's feet. God, for teachers, what would what would their classrooms look like? God, if they they took their heart, if they took it on their heart this year to say, Hey, God, I want to serve these kids. Help me to see them for who they are. Help me to love them no matter what. Help me to be consistent in serving them. There would be so much joy and so much fulfillment to the call that you have on their life. God, how much would businesses change if owners and leaders or CFOs or CEOs or presidents of their organization begin to serve? They didn't begin to take their position as one of high authority where they can demand stuff, but they begin to, God, just come alongside and serve. They begin to model leadership by doing. God, our world tells us one thing, but you say something completely opposite. God, and your word is very clear that your goal for us, your calling for us, is that we would see what's present in heaven be active here on earth. That only happens by your followers, by us, doing what you did. God, you modeled your kingdom perfectly. And people's lives were changed everywhere you went. Whether it's a blind guy sitting on the side of the road crying out for mercy, or whether it's a woman with an issue of blood that pushes through a crowd just to touch the hem of your garment, God. Your kingdom was really near. 
Now that's your dream for our lives. That's your call for my life. That we'd be so full of your presence, God. That literally the atmosphere around us would be completely different. Because you're involved. Because we're following you. We're following your steps. We're doing what you did. You're teaching us to live in love just like you did. So today, God, as you sit here, some of us pretty heavy-hearted. And some of us just trying to figure out what this looks like in our daily life. God, I pray that we would choose to serve first. No matter who's in the room. No matter what's been said. No matter what's happened. God, because somehow you take those moments of humility and you take those moments of us laying down our pride and you turn them into God moments where heaven invades earth in a powerful way. So today, God, shape our hearts. May they look more and more like your son. May the steps that we take, may they be firmly planted in the steps that we're following. May we not go to the left or to the right, but may we stay right behind you. And may we stay close to you so that we can hear you clearly. Not today. May we just surrender just as Peter did. May we surrender our lives and say, God, okay, whatever you choose to do, do. I want what you have for me. Today, God, we ask all these things in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Would you stand this morning? We're going to spend some time, the last few minutes we have in worship together.